I'll start by saying this or asking this. How often when you talk, when you use words, do you consider to yourself, should I say this? Every time. Every time, Clayton? Okay. <laughs> I would think, like, I consider that, like, all the words coming out of my mouth, how often do I think, is this something that I should say or I shouldn't say? I would guess that uh, for a lot of us, we're doing really well if we very occasionally consider that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe once a day, maybe once a week. But I think based on what I've been learning from James chapter 3, which we'll look at tonight, I think it should be all the time we should be asking that question. We tend to watch our doing really well, the things that we do, and we're, we're careful of those things as believers, but oftentimes we don't watch our talking maybe as closely as James would advise us. So we can kind of overlook our mouths and think, well, we're not acting in sin, even if it comes out of our mouth. So I hope to just show you tonight in James that what comes out of our mouths is extremely, extremely important. Um, and I think it's going to be clear just on a plain reading of the text to begin with before even any explanation or any of my exhortation that that is the case. So would somebody mind to read the first uh, five verses of James chapter 3, 1 through 5? I'll read it. Thank you. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Great. And if somebody could pick up um, the last part of verse 5 and read all the way through verse 12 in that new paragraph. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a, word, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth, from the same mouth comes blessing and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can the fig tree, my brother, bear olives and or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Great, thank you. So you can see from the beginning, like this is a pretty straightforward passage. We don't have to really guess at what James is getting at. Um, but let's look into it a little further. So far, James has already made hint 
kind of leading up to this point uh, about a focus on doing over talking. If you remember, we've mentioned that several times. In chapter 1, verse 19, James says we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and he says that we should receive the word and be doers of the word. And don't just be a talker of the word or a knower of the word, but be a doer of the word. And then he goes on in verse 26 of chapter 1. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, this is really cutthroat, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And he kind of goes on. It's like he's saying, stop talking about caring for orphans and widows and their affliction and start caring for orphans and their and widows and their affliction. Do it. Uh, so, so far there's been a focus on doing over talking. But we're going to have to talk. So now James kind of makes a shift and is like, hey, let's talk about talking. And verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we've been looking at the context of James saying, stop talking so much, start doing the word. But what is a teacher's God-given role but to talk? So let's talk about this talking, because there's a time to talk, obviously, namely with teachers who are given a specific role in God's people to dispense Christian truths and doctrine, and it's a very important needed role, so obviously those shouldn't quit talking. Um, and there's other times that we talk, too, not just in teaching, but like 2 Corinthians 3.16, and reproof and correction and training for righteousness. There's a time to talk. There's a time to tell forth truth. Teachers who must talk a lot, like myself in this case tonight, uh, more than others run the great risk of talking without doing, which James has already sharply condemned. Uh, Jesus gets onto the, the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 because he says they preach, but they don't practice. They're talking, but they're not doing. So if you talk, even if you believe the right things, even if you're verbally affirming, communicating the right things, but you don't do them, James would say, like he does in chapter 2, what good is that? Right? Um, Teachers make, by speaking forth truth, we're making statements of judgment, hopefully based on scripture. And if you make a judgment, are you not saying that you also should be judged in the same way that you are speaking about? It kind of uh, sounds like chapter 2, verse 13. If you judge without mercy, you will be judged without mercy. Or if you, if you teach, if you talk without taking care of people, you'll be judged with greater strictness. Or a simple way to put it is the more you talk, the more you better live what you're saying. If I'm honest, that makes me a little hesitant sometimes to teach our church and even to teach this message because not only do I not want to, of course, lead us astray, hopefully that's a goal of a teacher, but I also don't want judgment for me or for any other teacher in our church when our life isn't stacking up to what we're teaching. Because what you say, you have to live by. So be careful what you teach. This is really kind of James calling us, I think, to be um, single-minded, right? To, to live the same way that you're talking. So just in this first verse, I'd say for, for those of us who are eager, which is, I think, a lot of us, if not all of us, for those who are, of us who are eager to tell forth things, 
and don't think just about a formal teaching context, but you just want to teach people the information you know, then I think James would say, hey, give that a second thought at least. I'm taking a risk tonight teaching you to watch your mouth because that means I'd better watch my mouth or I'd be making a judgment that I'm not willing to live up to myself. Um, I think about whatever your political views are, if you're preaching or teaching a message that sharing with the poor is a good idea, then let's look at your checking account statement and see how you're doing in that. Don't just teach it, but actually live it out, do it. And your life better match your great ideas that you have, or Jesus would say you're a Pharisee, you're preaching uh, a true message, but you're not doing it. One commentator, Peter David, says this, an examination of the condemnations of false teaching, both in the Gospels and in First and Second Peter and Jude, show that, as with elders, here it is, the lifestyle of the teacher was more important than the words he or she spoke. Teachers were primarily models, secondarily intellectual instructors. By claiming this status, or the status of teacher, they put both life and words under God's scrutiny and he would hold them responsible for misleading the flock in word or deed. So I've noticed in our society that there are a lot of verbal know-it-alls, right? Uh, but there aren't very many do-it-alls, right? It's more like do nothing at all and just tell it all. Um, so I think James has given us good reason to hold off on telling all the good information you know um, or being cautious with that, because your life will be judged by the standard with which you are making judgments. So, uh, the first little verse here, watch your mouth. Your tongue is your judge, and you will have to live up to what you say. You're obligated to follow what your tongue says. That's why I think he's saying those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, you've said a lot, so let's, let's see how your life follows. Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. I think it's important that we, pour, that we point out that there's many different kinds of words, or there's many different ways that we can stumble in what we say. Um, it, you guys could help me make a list, but I'll just say there's, there's gossip, obviously, uh, it's the way we stumble in our words. There's just thoughtless kind of chattering or lying or slander or boasting or uh, words that tear down versus building up like Ephesians talks about. So James says we all sin in various ways. So for, for one person, it's somebody struggles more with sexual sin. For another, somebody struggles with violence or for another, lying or whatever it is. But for everyone, it's the tongue. We all stumble in what we say. Maybe it's in varying degrees, right? Like there's some of us who maybe have more self-control over our tongue than others. But James is telling us we all stumble in that. In fact, if you don't stumble in what you say, he says, you're perfect. Well, we're, we know we're not perfect, so we stumble in what we say. James is saying, if you have a perfect mouth, you're a perfect person. It's really interesting as I was kind of looking back, James uses a lot of, he kind of, he set up a lot of things in the beginning of the book that he kind of hits on 
and, and bounces back and forth that it's easy to miss. What he's saying here in verse 2 is kind of the reverse of chapter 2, verse 10. So chapter 2, verse 10, um, if you remember a few weeks ago, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Remember that? And he was saying, if you show partiality, that one sin, then you're guilty of all of the law. And he kind of justified that by saying, because partiality is breaking that, like, main kind of summarizing commandment of the law, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So you've, if you break that one commandment, you've broken the heart of the law with that one sin of partiality. Okay? And here in James 3, 2, he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. So it's kind of, I don't know if that's the converse or what it is, but he's saying if you bridle your tongue, if that you do that one thing, you're innocent of all. If you can control your tongue, he's saying you can do anything. Almost like that's the mark of spiritual maturity, the mark of a complete, mature, um, perfect Christian that he talked about in, in the first few verses of the book is seen in how we use our mouth or our tongue. So sins of gossip and, and words that tear down, I don't know about you guys, but, but to me they often seem like, well, those are, those are not too big. Those are kind of acceptable sins. I know they're not, uh, I know they're not right, but um, it's just kind of a, well, he, he kind of has trouble controlling his mouth, but at least he's not going out and doing these different sins. We kind of give it a pass sometimes, or at least I do. And James is like, hey, if you can stop gossiping, you're perfect. You've done it all. And he's, he's kind of throwing these, what I call acceptable sins, in our faces. He's saying a, a, few ch- a, cup, a chapter ago, partiality, that seems kind of small, no big deal. You, yeah, you play favorites, but that's not the worst of sins. Partiality, uh, no big deal with that. A small gossip, sins of the tongue, well, that seems, you know, a little bit small. Yet, what James is teaching is that partiality is breaking the heart of the main law of chapter 2. You're guilty of all of it, he says. And if you can control what you say, you're perfect and you're innocent of all of it. So these small things are actually big things. Like they're things that we might think have little bearing, but really they're guiding the entire ship, which is what he goes in to say in in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What you say affects all of you. It controls your whole body. So if you show me where a ship is heading, I guarantee I can tell you where that rudder is pointing. And he's saying something so small is the important thing. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's not just a small item. Well, I told a lie, and so it's just a small sin that came out of my mouth. But it is the great instigator of the sin of the rest of you, and it leads into all sorts of sins. It's kind of the, your, your mouth is the rabble rouser of, 
um, uh, of your body that gets, might lead everything else into sin. I don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago, maybe I've talked about it a couple times, but our dog, Izzy, is an instigator. She hears something, a little something, or thinks she hears something, and she lets out a bark, and then her bark is, she kind of wakes herself up with her own bark, and so she barks again, even if she hasn't heard anything else, and then Calvin from the other room is like, oh shoot, Izzy's barking, and so he barks, and they start barking, and then Calvin's like, I better go in there and see, and he starts running towards Izzy together, and then they get louder and louder, and they're barking, and sometimes, it's crazy, their animal instinct kicks in, and Calvin's running to her. They don't know why they're barking, but they're running towards each other, and they start, like, attacking each other. I don't know if you've ever seen that with dogs. They don't know what the stir is, but there's just all of this adrenaline in them, and this aggression, this natural whatever that's stirred up. Maybe we need to take them on walks more. But they just start fighting with each other, all because Izzy opened her mouth for no good reason. She didn't think before she spoke. I think that's kind of like what, what James is saying here, though he's using other pictures. He's saying, watch your mouth. It controls your whole thing. It's it, it, your whole body and all of your sin. It, it instigates more sin. Just like I've talked about with Mary Beth and I, like I can share something with Mary Beth and I know that might fire her up a little bit and then we just start getting more and more fired up and who knows what that will lead into. Maybe we'll start punching people or something. Your actions follow what you say. So there's kind of two sides of the same coin here. You have, if you're, if you're teaching or if you're saying hopefully the right things, well, that's really good, but now you're responsible to live up to that because you said, this is the truth. I agree with this. But if you're saying the wrong things, then you, you're going to live up to it. You're, you're, you're going to fall. That's going to lead you into other sins. So both of those reasons, James is saying, we well, you know, Watch our mouth, whether it's the right thing that we're saying, whether it's the wrong thing, the confused thing that we're saying, watch your mouth. Then he goes in verse 5 to say, how great a forest, I love all these pictures he gives us, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It's kind of a transition verse. He's saying something so small determines something very big. In verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Listen to how he's describing the tongue. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell or Gehenna. That's the place that in Jerusalem it became synonymous with suffering and with judgment. He's saying that's the place that, that lights up the tongue to all of its evil. So, This is really bad news. The tongue that we have, which is controlling everything, like a bit or like a rudder, he's saying is prone to evil. So it, it's one thing that it brings judgment, because if you preach it, you'll have to practice it. And it's a controlling member of kind of your entire self and leads into other things. But not only those, but it's also prone to evil or a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body. It's lit by hell. Uh, I think James is speaking hyperbolically, but, but it's, he's showing it not as a good thing. I think he's saying, keep that thing in your mouth. Um, if you remember Mike Brown, a couple, a few weeks ago, talked about verse 127, chapter 1, verse 27, 
I don't know if you'll remember this. I, I kind of perked my ear because I'm like, well, I don't, I've never heard that before. He said religion, that, that portion that says religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mike talked about that word pure. You remember? Um, he said that the, the good works that James is calling us to is not just an indication of our genuine faith, but they also have a purifying effect on us as we do them. Do you all remember that? It has a purifying effect as we care for the needy or the orphans and widows. We are being purified through that. And we're keeping ourselves unstained from the world. There's a purifying effect. And here James is saying the tongue stains the whole body. The tongue gets you into all kinds of trouble. The tongue leads to that empty religion, uh, faith without works, um, words that are just useless. It's the words that say, yeah, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and then doesn't do anything. He's saying those words, though it don't purify you, it's the opposite of that. They stain the essence of who you are. So from chapter 1, verse 27 when you do something, instead of talking, you're keeping yourself unstained. But here, when you talk, when you wag this evil tongue around, you're staining your whole body. Talking tends to stain you. Good works purify you. And again, I think James, to drive home a point, is, is, is not presenting the whole argument that the tongue always has to be evil. Always, Obviously, the tongue of Jesus, the tongue of Adam and Eve before the fall... Um, has a, a good purpose, but we get his point when he says the tongue of that you have it, the words that you use, that tongue is set on fire from hell. So watch your mouth; it tends to be evil, and it tends to defile. It says it sets on fire the entire course of life. So it starts with the tongue. Remember, you talk, you become angry, you get hotter and hotter. It leads to unrighteous action. Instead, James has said, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. Um, the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness that that, that started with the, the quick talk um, leads to. The tongue is just a spark that spirals out of control and sets on fire the entire course of life. If you think about our California wildfires, um, they give us a good picture of this. There are certain times when it is safe to have campfires, right? As according to our parks and rangers, and I don't know who all determines that, but um, there's certain times when it's safe to have campfires. There's certain times when it's not. Um, in Southern California, until recently, the rain that we've had the last year or two, it's usually not safe. They wouldn't let you have campfires in a lot of situations or a lot of uh, campgrounds. There are, just to use that analogy, there are situations in which I find myself that I'm pretty aware that if I release a spark from my mouth, it's going to turn into a fast-moving brush fire. I can, like, test the weather. I, I know when that's going to be the case, uh, oftentimes. Whether it's me saying something that 
someone agrees with and it's going to kind of light both of our fires and get us going or whether it's saying something that disagrees with somebody and my words are going to burn them up. So this doesn't mean that obviously that we never talk or that we never even say hard things or that we don't speak truth to each other, but there are some times uh, when I need to say something hard um, that is right, but before I do, I need to look really carefully at the weather. And if it's 110 degrees outside and it hasn't rained in five years and it's windy and it's the middle of the afternoon, then I better keep my mouth shut and pick a better time to say what I need to say, if I say it at all. Because the tongue is a fire. It sets on fire the entire course of life. Verse 7 for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Uh, James does not let up. He continues on his terror against, um, against the mouth and what we say. Um, I hesitate to even bring the TV show up because it gets people's minds going and may knock you off track, but I think it proves a good point. Tiger King? Um, yeah, some of you, certainly not myself, have watched that. Just kidding. Uh, that was a lie. I need to control my tongue. I watched the show. And um, it's impressive to me that people can tame tigers and lions and wild animals like that. Um, I assume there's like there's there's some talent to it talent that you, like you can learn the skill or hone your skill of taming wild beasts. Um, but if you remember on the show Tiger King, there was one animal that Exotic Joe or Joe Exotic um, was never able to tame. And if you remember, that was his tongue. Uh, against Carol Baskin specifically, right? But he just couldn't, like, as as much, it proved, or is speaking to this verse exactly, as much as he could tame these wild beasts, uh, for the most part, right? Every once in a while they attack you and tear off your arm, but for the most part he could tame those wild beasts. But the one thing that he could not control, obviously, and what got him into prison eventually, um, was the the tongue. And... I think we've experienced similar things probably in our own lives, or we certainly have witnessed it, even if you don't know Joe Exotic. Uh, not taming lions, but the inability to tame the tongue. Um, no human being can tame the tongue. Look at people's Twitter feeds, and you'll see the truth of that, uh, especially if you've been attacked. You, people will not be able to control, and they will respond. Um, I was thinking, man, social media, as, as helpful as it could be, it unfortunately has also given us a digital tongue that now we have the ability to use that we didn't used to have to use or the ability to use. So if you, like if these verses about the tongue setting, on, setting the whole course of life on fire and how it kind of rolls out of control, if, if this was true for James's congregation, 
Um, how much more of a wildfire can we create now with our digital tongue on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is? Um, it goes out of control. So I, I think we've seen it. Uh, Mary Beth and I watched Survivor. Um, we're only on season 20 of 40, so don't talk to us about any season past 20. In fact, don't even talk to us about it because you won't remember. Like, I don't want to know that uh, Boston Rob wins a later season. Okay, just don't tell me that. So don't talk to me about Survivor. But um, if you've watched the show before, you often see at Tribal Council this kind of breaking point. Now, these are like people are exhausted and they've had their emotions are going crazy. And even usually the most tight-lipped players who like seem really upright and they never say a harsh thing, if they're attacked at Tribal Council by somebody else, they just almost always cannot help but to defend themselves. Like they're, they're going to say something, even if it would be better in the show um, strategically for them just to kind of keep their mouth shut. They can't tame the tongue. They have to respond with something. So we could probably come up with lots of different um, ways um, to, to kind of prove that the tongue is untamable. But um, basically, James is saying, if you can control that, then you've done what's impossible. Like he said at the beginning, you've, you're perfect if you can do that. So how unsettling is this? Chapter 3 starts by saying, your tongue like a rudder of a ship, controls all of you, and it tends to be evil, set on fire by hell. And here he's basically saying, and it's uncontrollable. It can't be tamed. When the rudder gets out of hand, it's a big deal because it's controlling the whole ship. And he's saying, unfortunately, that rudder, it's, it's uncontrollable. It's a wild animal. What a picture of the tongue that James is giving us. Uh, when he says that it's a restless evil in verse 8, that word restless, again, he's drawing back to an earlier chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, having to do with double-mindedness, which kind of leads into the next section. But it's like that tongue can go either way. Like you don't know what, what it's going to do. It's untamed. It's like if you approach a lion in the wild, then it might not kill you, but it might kill you, and you're just not quite sure when you walk up to it. It's, it's restless. It's double-minded. It could go either way. The tongue is like a wild, untamed animal, which might attack, and it might not, but it just seems kind of out of control. But if it does attack, it can kill you like the bite of a deadly, venomous snake is the picture that James gives us. Psalm 140, verse 1 through 3 says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, Perverse, uh, I'm sorry, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. How does all that start? Verse 3, they make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. What starts all the ideas of violence and wars was their tongues that get them going. I think the wild animal is a really good illustration for the tongue. Use extreme caution when you get in the cage with a wild animal. In time, maybe you can trust a lion, you know, enough to, to get into that cage. You can tame it some. 
the lion can be more tamed than it was before. But you never get into the cage without caution, right? Because at some point, that restless beast might kill you. And in the same way, you will always have to watch your tongue like a lion trainer in a lion's cage. But it's worse than that, right? Because he says the tongue is untamable. Maybe you could argue that the lion was tameable. And worse than that, that wild beast is a part of you. It's a part of your very body. And until Jesus returns and gives us fully redeemed bodies, you will have to watch your tongue. And I know that to be true personally. I asked Mary Beth last week, I, as I was looking at this passage, I'm like, Mary Beth, do you, do you think, would you say that I have a pretty controlled tongue? Like, am I pretty careful with what I say? And she agreed. And she's like, yeah, yeah, gosh, I mean, relative, relative to maybe other people, you have a very controlled tongue. And she commended me on that, which is awesome. Um, however, I know from myself, just the other day, a few weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with some neighbors uh, who are not believers, who don't care one bit about taming their tongues, I assure you. And in that environment, I said some things that, frankly, even surprised myself. And I was reminded in that moment that this mouth is, is untamable. Like it, it can flare up, it can bite at any moment. Now, I hope that my words are better than they used to be 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, but it's a lion. Like you can never be too careful. You're in a cage with a wild animal. And so we will always have, this side of heaven, we will always have to watch our tongues. So use extreme caution when getting in the cage with that wild animal. You're going to have to talk. You're going to have to go there. But extreme caution is the way to go. So James is saying, watch your mouth. It's wild. It's uncontrollable. You got to know what you're dealing with. It's a spark that can set on fire the dry brush and take off. It's an animal who could in a moment snap into instinct and start firing off. So use extreme caution. And the last little section, verse 9, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. I assume you all know people or have run into people who talk differently depending on their context. Uh, not like an accent, like Mary Beth talks differently to her parents. Um, but in one context, somebody talks clean and maybe honoring way to the Lord. In another way, it's kind of filthy and coarse, depending on the environment they're in. James says, at times we bless or we, we speak well of or praise God. At times we curse people or we're, a curse is just wishing that somebody would be cut off from God, basically. Why not bless God and curse people? What's wrong with that? Well, here James's argument, you bless God, but you curse those who were created in God's image. And again, that's double-minded. We think it's okay to speak ill of somebody because they're a wretched person, but they were made in the image of God. In our society, we don't get 
that the full significance of being made in the image of somebody in biblical times to bear somebody's image that idea was more than just like oh you compare your baby picture with your parents baby pictures and you're like oh gosh don't we just look exactly the same and oh i look just like my mom or my dad what's well, more than that it's not just you look like somebody but you represent somebody if you are in their image in the ancient Near East, I don't just look like my mom and dad, but I represent my mom and dad. So humans are created in the image of God. We don't just look like him, but we all, in one way or another, represent him. Did you know that Donald Trump is created in the image of God, by God? Nancy Pelosi is created in the image of God, by God. To illustrate how serious Genesis, uh, 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 this creating in the image of from Genesis 2 is, we read in Genesis 9:6, whoever sheds the blood of man, whoever kills somebody, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So when you kill someone, you've killed a being who, whether they know it or not, represent God in some capacity. It's a big deal to bear someone's image. And James says in verse 9, with your tongue you bless God, and with your tongue you curse people who represent God. Uh, Peter David says this, to bless or thank God and then turn around and curse his likeness is like praising a king to his face and then smashing the head off his statue as you leave the palace. So when I curse people, or when I speak ill of them, or I wish bad for them, it, it feels maybe not so bad until I realize that what I'm doing is cursing the image of God, blaspheming, damning God by doing so to his creation. So maybe the worst of all, and James' strongest argument here about watching our mouth, is that we can use it to blaspheme and curse the very image of God, uh, which should not be so. And then he, he ends in verse um, 11 by saying, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce fruits? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I think it's fair to gather from this scripture uh, that what comes out of our, and other scriptures, that what comes out of our mouth actually originates in our heart. Um, and, and by the way, it's not just physically what we say, like literally the words that come out of your mouth. There's a Psalm 62 that talks about people who bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. I think in the Sermon on the Mount, that kind of idea that what happens in your heart and your mind is really the same as when it actually happens coming out of your body. Um, but Jesus said, if you remember, what comes out of the mouth defiles a person. And then later he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So really the tongue is just kind of expressing the heart. The heart is really the real culprit. Your tongue doesn't just kind of act on its own. Um, so when you speak freely, when you don't have any filters on what you say, you're revealing what's actually in your heart. Douglas Moo says, your mouth is the barometer of your spirituality. 
So it starts in your heart, comes out in your mouth, and then it sets your life, your actions all on fire. And I think um, James has just kind of given us the final illustration here of the pond and, and the, the tree um, about giving us maybe a, a look into how we actually work on the problem of the tongue. Um, by looking at where it comes from, where the evil that the tongue produces originates. It's kind of like what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, but the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, now y'all, just check this out to kind of put a punctuation on this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, Jesus says, Matthew 12, 36, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and, with, and by your words you will be condemned. And it's not we're, we're saved based on what we do, but remember, as we're learning in James, our, our actions, what, what we actually produce out of our lives, it gives evidence to our real faith or not. So dirty mouth means dirty heart. <laughs> um, so just to kind of conclude, I, I, I started out just by saying, hey, I hope we can see tonight what comes out of our mouth is extremely important so we should watch our mouth. We have to live up to what we say. Your tongue is your judge. It controls our whole self, so it can instigate all that we do into more sin. It tends to be evil, our tongue. It defiles us. The mouth, the tongue, is it's wild and uncontrollable, and with it we, we blaspheme God. And a dirty mouth shows a dirty heart. So... This just all goes in line with what James has been saying. Stop talking. Uh, be slow to speak in chapter 1. If you think you're religious but you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. That bridle your tongue in chapter 1, yeah, another a Bible dictionary says that can be translated, the one who cannot tie his tongue down or the one who cannot stop his talking, that person's religion is worthless. If you can't stop your talking, your religion is worthless. And then chapter 3, verse 8 here tells us that no human being can tame the tongue. So we all can't stop talking. That's all of us. None of us have mastered this. But I think the point that I'll just leave us with is as God is moving us toward maturity and completion, which is his desire for us, which should be our desire for ourselves, our desire for each other, Christ-likeness, perfection, where would be a good focus to begin with in that sanctification like where would we get the most bang for our buck but to look at our mouth one commentator says if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity the images of lustfulness like if you refuse to talk about these things if it refused to formulate the words of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. The control of the tongue is more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it.
The control of the tongue is more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. So do you want to move towards maturity and completion in your faith and watch your mouth?